The sponsor for the Shepherd's Creek Podcast for the month of November is B&H Academic. B&H Academic is dedicated to providing trustworthy theological resources to serve you as you serve the church. Visit bnhacademic.com to find resources you need to help prepare sermons, tackle tough questions, and aid you in personal spiritual life. Also, starting November 20th through the month of December, you can get 40% off on all of their books. I'll provide the link in the show notes for that. And also, we're going to be providing the link for the giveaway that they're doing with us for the month of November. You can get five great books just by going to the link on Twitter or Facebook, signing up, and sharing. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This is episode 69. Today, I have a two-part episode. Part one, I'm going to tell you about the first deer hunt of my life. And then part two, we're going to get into our series and talk about being able to teach, the qualification of being able to teach. It's the one gifting rather than character trait that's given in the list of qualifications. Let's pray, and then I want to tell you about my hunt. Father, we thank you for this day. It's a beautiful day, and we're excited about the week. Many of us get some time off for Thanksgiving, and we are just the word. We're thankful. We're so thankful for all that you've given us and our family and your grace, and you're just so kind. And today, as I talk about this this hunting trip and, and as I talk about being able to teach, I just ask that you would give me wisdom and you would give me the ability to do what I'm talking about. And that we just have fun uh, as we listen in. Listeners, thank you so much for listening in. God, I thank you for providing people to listen. And uh, God, I pray that they're encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So six months ago, for some reason, I started to want to hunt. I don't know why. I just started to want to hunt. And so I started asking around. And I didn't grow up hunting or anything like that. I started asking around. And we have some buddies at church. And I've got a guy that wanted to show me the ropes. So he's in his 60s or so. I've known him most of my life. And his son was going to be hunting as well. And so he said, you know, why don't, why don't I show you the ropes? you got to go through the hunter safety course. And so I went and took my hunter safety course. It's Illinois. So there's a lot of red tape to jump through with pretty much anything you want to do other than smoke weed. So I jumped through the hoops and cut the red tape and got all my licensing and got my tag, got my deer tag, got an either or male, female tag. Went out a couple weeks ago and sighted in the gun. I was shooting a Mossberg 500 and it's got those uh, interchangeable barrels. And so this is a deer, deer barrel, the cantilever barrel, so you can put the scope on it. And we sighted in at 50 yards and I've just been getting really excited about this. And so it's, it's the day before the hunt and I'm having a talk with Jordan. And I said, honey, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm wanting to get this deer, but I'm nervous that I'm going to see a deer and then I'm going to drop something, drop the gun, drop a hat, drop something that makes a noise and it's going to make this deer run away. Now, remember that thought. We'll get back to it here in a minute. But overall, I'm really excited. My sons are really excited for me. And so I get up. It's 440, I, 445, leave the house and I get to my friend's house at about 5.10, 5.15, and we finish up our coffee, and we go out and 
take a truck and drive out to our stand, and I climb up. I'm in the stand by about 5.45, and I'm loving life. I mean, the sun's not up yet. It's beautiful outside. It's not that cold. It's probably only 35 degrees, 40 degrees, so it's not that bad. I'm wearing wool. I'm wearing layer. I'm layered up. I don't have any camo, so I had my uh, bib overalls, insulated bib overalls with my wool shirt and and so I'm sitting there and just, you know, praying and loving it and already I'm hooked thinking, you know, I don't have to get a deer. I don't even have to see one. I'm just loving this. And so I'm just sitting there praying and then the sun starts to come up slowly and I've got my $7 optics I got from Walmart. By the way, if you want some cheap optics, you can go spend seven eighty-seven at Walmart and get some 12 by 21 um, uh, binoculars that are really great and just really cheap. I don't know how they're making any money on it, but... So I'm sitting there and I'm I'm looking through my binoculars and I bring my binoculars down and you know the sun's rising and and about 200 yards away I saw a deer walking the field and you know of course that's too far I'm I'm looking for something 80 yards or in and then as I put my binoculars down right below me okay I'm talking 10 yards there is a doe right there and I could have it I mean it's right there I could shoot it and I let it go Because after all, you want a buck. If you're going hunting, you want a buck. And so I just watched this deer. You know, I'm just loving this. I mean, just so giddy about it. And I just watched this deer walk by. And she stands in the field and turns and then walks away and then walks down over the ridge. And then about five minutes later, out walks this majestic, at least in my mind, it was a majestic seven-point buck. Probably a -a two-and-a-half-year-old buck. Walks out. And it's to my left. And then he walks about 60 yards out and turns. And then I know this is him. I've got him. And so I grab my gun. And you know, you don't move. You just move very, very carefully. And so I move very carefully. And I realize I had not taken the scope covers off yet. And so I take the scope covers off. And remember what I told you to remember for a few minutes ago about not wanting to drop something before I shoot the deer. So this buck is right there and I take the scope covers off and I drop these scope covers thinking I'm laying them down quietly and I kid you not, it fell all the way down the deer stand and it hit every single piece of metal on that stand. It was like ding, 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 ding. And this this deer, this buck stands up, you know, this wise buck and looks right at me and I freeze. I freeze. I stand there 20, 25 seconds. It felt like an eternity. And he just looks at me and I'm thinking inside, I'm like, okay, God, please just let him put his head back down. Please. I don't want to blow my cover. I'm standing in a deer stand or I'm sitting in a deer stand 60 yards away and about 10, 10 feet up and I'm covered. I've got burlap camo around me. I'm pretty well camouflaged up. That's why I didn't really need that much camo to wear. I'm just wearing brown Bernie overalls, which is like a knockoff Carhartt overalls you can get in a, at rural King in our area. And, uh, and then a brown, overcoat as well but he's looking at me and I'm thinking okay I don't know if he sees me or not so I stay froze and then sure enough he puts his nose back down to the ground and he turns and so he's at a perfect 90 degree angle from me perfectly sideways and so I take that gun I pull it up aim it right at his shoulder right above his shoulder pull the trigger that deer fell dead as soon as that bullet hit him he took one step and flopped and landed right in the ground landed right there where i shot him 
Come to find out, I had shot him in the spine. It was a 60-yard shot, and I shot him a little bit to the right and, and low, and so it hit him right in the spine, and he dropped dead right there. It was incredible, exhilarating. And so I'm sitting there, you know, I'm texting my friends, hey, Terry, hey, Aaron, and, and <laughs> letting them know. And then all of a sudden, a few minutes later, this coyote runs out of the woods and runs right to that thing. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, is this guy going to, like, you know, either lick all over this thing or try to eat this thing? And then following the coyote is this huge, massive old sheepdog that comes limping up. It's probably like, it looks like it's about 100 years old. But he comes walking up, chasing this coyote, and then he gets distracted, and he goes over this deer. So now I'm thinking, well, is this guy going to just be looking? What's he going to do this deer? So I have to get down out of my stand. It's only about 10 minutes after the kill. Walk down there, shoo this coyote away, and shoo this sheepdog away. And all of a sudden, the sheepdog runs off, limps off, and then I see the coyote run off. Uh, down there, and got my pictures of this deer, he was dead, my boys were so proud of me, Jordan was just freaking out excited for me, and it was absolutely awesome, and so I had these two friends that God used to just help me, it was so kind of the Lord to put these people in my life, and uh, my friend Terry has been so kind to me, just showing me the ropes, and then I was able to take that deer over to my friend Dan's house, and Dan showed me how to process the whole thing, and so here I am, first time hunting, got my deer, and then I'm cutting up this deer all in one day. I get this thing skinned, and I make all the cuts on it, cut it off the bone, and then I'm going to, then I brought it home, and we had some steak, that uh, tenderloin, it was so good, and then what I'm going to do is, is learn how to make the sausage meat and, and the, uh, and the hamburger, the deer hamburger, all by myself. And so it's it was an incredible, incredible experience. So I'm a hunter now, and I absolutely love it. So I've got another hunting trip planned for rabbit and quail in January, and then I'm going to be doing some turkey hunting next year. And I'll tell you, I'm hooked. Pastors, if you have never been hunting, I just want to encourage you to try it. It's incredible. You don't have to get a lot of money into it up front, maybe a little bit, but not a ton. And then it was all in one day. I did this in one day. Within the first hour, within the very first hour, I saw that buck. And so I saw three deer within an hour and finally got mine. And it was probably 5.45 when I got there and 6.45 when I got that buck. And so anyways, just wanted to tell you my first hunting story. Now, let's get on to the episode. Episode 69 and... Oh, and by the way, if you want to see the pictures of it, just go to the Instagram page or my Facebook page and you can see those pictures. Okay, now episode 69, apt to teach. What does it mean that an elder must be able to teach? Let's read it and then let's talk about it. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, apt to teach, or able to teach. It's interesting that the only qualification that is not related to character is about teaching. This is the only qualification that's about gifting, not character. If a man's going to be an elder, if he's going to be a pastor, he has to be able to teach. Seems like a no-brainer, but let's talk about it because I think there's layers to it. Not every elder is going to stand behind a pulpit and preach every week. That's the assumption that 1 Timothy chapter 5 makes. Here's what verse 17 says. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So every elder has to be able to teach, but not every elder is going to be laboring 
in preaching and teaching the word. But first, let's talk about what it means to be able to teach. An elder must be able to teach the Bible. He must be able to sit down with a young convert and explain what the Bible means. Explain the centrality of the gospel to the Bible, where Jesus is the point of the scriptures. He needs to have a good biblical understanding of the Bible, a good biblical theology, a good systematic theology. And he needs to be able, at all ages of life, to be able to teach the Bible to lesser or greater degrees, depending upon who he's teaching. He needs to be able to teach the Bible, difficult passages of the Bible, in a way that's understandable to the ears that are listening. So if he's teaching a class, Sunday school class of five-year-olds, he needs to be able to speak to a five-year-old in a five-year-old way and explain the cross to that child in a way that child can understand. Now, he may not be great at teaching children. He may be a whole lot better at teaching adults. That's how I am, a lot better at teaching adults than children. But he should be able to take the scriptures and explain them and teach them to whoever is in the church. Now, I think this also requires being able to teach through your, explain your confession of faith. If you have a creed or confession of faith, and you should, every church should, whatever denomination you were part of, if the Westminster Standards are your confession, then you should be able to teach through the Westminster Standards. If, if the London Baptist Confession is your confession of faith, as is our church, then you should be able to grab that confession and teach that confession. You need to know where your exceptions are to that confession. All of that has to, has to do with being able to teach the Word. Now, in all these different systematic categories, I think it's wise to have elders who are able to teach the full spectrum from theology proper, the you know when it, all the attributes of God, so the incommunicable attributes and the, the communicable attributes, and then uh, be able to teach all the systematic categories, and and not clearly not as thoroughly as John Calvin could, but thoroughly enough for the church to know, okay, he is an able teacher. He's able to teach the word. And then I think it's important that even if your elder, even if you are a person who who's able to teach, but you're not that comfortable preaching, it you need to be able to preach the word as well. Preaching and teaching, there's some things that are interchangeable about that, but you need to be able to stand up in front of God's people, open the word, and exposit it well. You don't have to be amazing at being engaging or tell the best stories or be somebody that everyone can listen to for an hour, but you have to be, if you're going to be God's man, if you're going to be an elder at the local church, you have to be able to handle and teach the word. It's just clear, able to teach. If you're not able to teach, then you're not qualified to be a pastor. Now, what does it mean to be a person who's not able to teach? I don't think it means that you're not engaging, as stated before. Here's simply what it means. You don't know the word. If you're approaching the Bible to get preaching material for what you want to preach, rather than wanting to come to the scriptures to preach or teach the word, then you're not qualified to be an elder. If you're a person who's got a lot of ideas and a lot of things that sound right, tweetable material that you can turn and twist into sermons, which is a lot in the Pentecostal world, that's pretty much just preaching, is you just get a tweetable phrase and then go get your Bible verses for it and get real excited about it, and then people say, well, that guy can preach. But that's not preaching. That's not being able to teach the Word. The goal is not to teach what we want to teach. It's to teach the very Word of God, which is the authority over our lives and everyone in our congregation's life. That's the charge. We have to be able to teach the Bible. 
It's what Paul tells Timothy to preach the word. We're not using the word to preach. We are preaching the word. So if you're going to be an elder, you're going to have to be able to teach. You can get better at teaching and preaching. One of the things that we do in our internships is that we provide opportunities at our church for young guys to preach. So Kale, who's now going to be moving on to Midwestern in Kansas City, when Kale was doing his internship and his residency with us, we asked him to preach every single Thursday at noon. And so he preached every Thursday at noon. He preached through 1 Peter. He did a great job. We just got him repetition with preaching and teaching. And we give him opportunities on Sunday mornings. So if you want to be a better preacher and teacher, just take every single opportunity you can get. That's my final encouragement for you. If you're called to preach God's word, grow in your ability to teach by taking every opportunity you can. Go to the local assisted living home and ask, can I come here and be a chaplain and teach the Bible on Sunday mornings. I would love if I could have some residents come come down. They may be doing a puzzle when you're preaching, but you have opportunities to preach. Ask your pastor, hey, can I preach in the fellowship hall Wednesdays at noon? Or if you're on staff and you need repetition to preach, ask your lead pastor, hey, can I preach once a week and it just be a staff thing and we just come in and you just tell, tell me how I can get better. Opportunities abound. Preach to yourself in your office or in your home or to your family. Family worship is a great place to learn to teach. There are several different ways that you can get better at teaching. Just take the opportunities. Find them and take them. But if you're going to be an elder, if you're going to be qualified, then you have to be able to teach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.